0: Hi, I'm Larry Castle here with Ken Brown for episode 70 of That's a Good Question. What's the latest with Durham, the election, and the 1-6 Commission? Welcome. Today we are going to uh, discuss some recent events, Hmm. and uh, we're going to use as our kind of our starting point the question What's the latest with Durham, the election, and the 1-6 Commission? And so that's kind of some topics we've been discussing uh, here and there over the last many months. And uh, a few months ago, we said that we would be devoting episodes sometimes or even often to biblical perspective on current events because we want our church members, and all of you who are viewing, but especially our church members, um, to have a proper view of what's going on around them, a biblical yeah. perspective on it, and uh, really, we we believe that the principles of the Bible, things that we learn from Scripture, apply mm-hmm. to everything. And so, uh, it's important that we help people see that. And so, let's actually start by reminding ourselves what the <clears throat> Scripture teaches regarding this concept that it's relevant to right. everything. Well, we sometimes talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, which
1: says that the Bible addresses all matters, either directly or indirectly. In fact, the most well-known passage in the Bible about the Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16, says that all Scripture is God-breathed, that is, it's it's from God, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, Mm -hmm. and training in righteousness, but then it gives the purpose for all of that. It's useful for those four things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, but here's the reason, so that the servant of God
0: may be thoroughly equipped mm. for, every, for every good work. It's, uh, growing up, it was very easy for me to not even notice the end of that. You know, you would hear taught frequently the, those key concepts uh, That's right. about the ways you use yes. the Bible or, you know, implement it. And if
1: you leave that off, those things become the end. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: become the end of what the Bible is given for. Mm-hmm. It's given for teaching as an end in itself. Mm-hmm. It's given for rebuking, it's given for gra- No, all of that is so that yeah. we can serve God properly, we can live life properly, and it says every good work. Mm-hmm. But the Bible does not address everything directly, but often it's indirectly through principles that can be applied to our situations. So the range of subject matter to which the Bible may be applied is really unlimited. Uh, Cornelius Van Til, that's a late theologian that some of us are familiar with, had to become familiar with in uh, Bible <laughs> college and seminary, but a brilliant guy. And he said there's a sense in which Scripture speaks of everything. Hmm. And he went on to say this, We do not mean that it speaks of football games or atoms, etc., directly, but we do mean it speaks of everything either directly or indirectly. It tells us not only of the Christ and his work, but it also tells us who God is and whence the universe has come. It gives us a philosophy of history as well as history. Mm -hmm. Moreover, the information on these subjects is woven into an inextricable whole. It is only if you reject the Bible as the word of God that you can separate its so-called religious and moral instruction, you know, things just for Sunday and Sunday school, Mm -hmm. from what it says about things like the, the physical universe. So that's Van Til commenting on this idea that the Bible addresses everything either in precept or principle, directly
0: or indirectly, including, of course, current events. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, one of the biblical issues that we've been concerned about, talking about biblical principle, uh, is uh, that, and it affects uh, uh, some of what we see happening here in the last few years. Yes. Um, The topic is that of structure. Yeah in uh, specifically chipping away yes. at structure, for example, in our country's institutions, yeah. um, because the Bible warns of that danger. It right? does. It does indeed. I mean, not, not it d- doesn't name America oh, again, right. again, but it warns of chipping away at institutions Absolutely.
1: and structure. It does indeed, yeah. You know, Psalm 11, Psalm 11 and verse 3 says, When the foundations are destroyed, mm. what can the righteous do? When the foundations are destroyed, and that's what we're talking about here with the structure and the chipping away at the structure, you say. So the Expositor's Bible commentary says that foundations in that passage refers to the order of society, Mm -hmm. to the established institutions, the social and civil order of the community. So when we Christians who believe that those things, those things being things like family and things like community and things like government, these are foundational structural things. When we see those being attacked, then we should be concerned. We should do what we can to warn against further erosion mm-hmm. of those things, including, like I said, family government, society as a whole, the institutional church as as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with regard to government and its responsibility to ensure that justice is served, when we see that not happening, that's a chipping chipping away. And that brings us to what you said in the title,
0: then. What mm-hmm. happened
1: with Durham this week?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll remind our listeners that um, two months ago we talked about John Durham mm-hmm. and his investigation into the origins of the Russia investigation right. Right. Uh, and uh, the Trump campaign a few years ago. In fact, uh, Durham's been investigating that for over two years yes. now. Yes. And um, a couple months ago, then, we talked uh, about um, the indictment. Uh, of some. Yeah. And we talked about, uh, I'm sure we need to do a quick refresher <laughs> on who he is yeah. and what he's looking into for right. folks.
1: Right. He, he came up a couple of weeks ago, or excuse me, a couple of months ago because he indicted someone who uh, lied mm-hmm. in, to the investigators during uh, his investigation. So who is he? Well, he was appointed by the Attorney General under President Trump, uh, to be a spe- what's called a special counsel, that is someone who's specifically focused in on looking into a particular matter, and then he's supposed to report back on that matter. Mm-hmm. Now, that matter is, as you said, the origin of the investigation that the FBI undertook mm-hmm. before the 2016 presidential election, uh, and whether or not that investigation was proper to even to even get in that can
0: that can be tricky understanding what we're talking about there because he's investigating the source of an investigation that's exactly right right.
1: the origin of the investigation okay so he's been looking into that for over two two years and um until you know just recently he had really come up with very little directly to to what it is he's investigating but this past week he came up with something important Hmm. and actually troubling that we'll talk about in, in just a bit. But first, this issue of whether the FBI should have ever looked into the Russians and their attempts to influence the Trump campaign, that's an issue that was, has already been looked into thoroughly by the Department of Justice. And the Department of Justice is what they call Inspector General. Mm -hmm. Every department in the federal government, Department of Labor, Department of Agriculture, Department of the Interior, all the departments, Department of Treasury, Department of Justice, they all have someone uh, appointed called the Inspector General for that area. And we actually have an uh, inspector whistleblower law that involves the inspector general, so that if someone sees something going wrong in the federal government, in their department, an employee, Hmm. they don't have to sweep it under the rug for fear of reprisal. They actually have a process that they can go through, Hmm. and then this inspector general can, on the QT, look into this and then decide, I'm really going to make this investigation because it's worthwhile. So I personally think it's a a very good thing that that we have. Seems
0: like a good protection. One of those things that you were talking about earlier uh, a structure in yes, place. And, exactly. you know, we're, we're conservative. Yeah. One of those things we want to conserve, as you've talked about in the past, you That's don't want right. to lightly uh, do away with a structure like that or undermine it.
1: And as we're going to see a, a theme today in mm-hmm. our session is that unfortunately we've become so politicized mm-hmm. that now, whether or not things like the inspector general, uh, and I wasn't going to talk specifically about that, but but it's another example of how we're partisan in the way we see that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to mention some other things where whether we think it's a good thing depends on who's, uh, who's being harmed by it, mm-hmm. you know, who's being taken to task by it. Well, unfortunately, the inspector general has degenerated into that uh, because they do their work. I think it's a very good thing. I think it's a very good law. But the inspector general especially the one for the Department of Justice, has been denounced by Republicans mm. because he looked into some of the things that they were sure were uh, at, at, um, that were in error that he should have inve- determined. Well, his investigation didn't find what they wanted, and so they, mm. denounced, they denounced him. So this idea of whether there should have been a Russian investigation to begin with It's already been looked into by the inspector general for the Department of Justice. And he concluded that the investigation was, and this is the phrase he used, properly predicated. That Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. there was good reason to look into it because there was evidence that, in fact, Russia was trying to influence our election through the Trump campaign, actually wanting Trump to win. So he comes to that conclusion. The attorney general, though, at the time, William Barr, didn't like that answer. So he appointed his own guy, Durham, enter John Durham, to do his own investigation. A special counsel to look into this really again. Now, what he came up with, though, this past week is interesting because he indicted a Russian who was feeding information to a guy named Christopher Steele. Hmm. And Steele put it in a report,
0: and he gave that report to the FBI. Okay, so... (laughs) So the Russian is giving him information to another guy Steele, yep. and he gives the information to the FBI. Yeah. So can you explain then what's the problem? What's the problem <laughs> okay. with that? Well, there's a
1: few things. Steele was hired by a firm that was working with. All right, wait for it. The Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh-huh. And the Russian guy, who was feeding him information, was himself getting information from somebody in the Clinton campaign. Okay. So you have the Clinton campaign campaign trying to exploit the many contacts that the Trump people had with Russians by feeding that to the FBI.
0: Okay. Uh, I mean, I can see someone sitting and listening to this. All right, this just sounds like politics, right? You've, you've got one side digging up dirt on their opponent yeah. and flinging it yeah. out in the public. True. That's true. And, and
1: that is what goes on, unfortunately, in politics. So you could just, you could just leave it at that and say that's a dirty game. Mm-hmm. But when uh, Durham has asked this Russian with whom he was working and where he was getting his information, he lied about it multiple times. Mm-hmm. He lied to federal investigators because he did not want what they were up to being uncovered. Mm. So... The Russian has been indicted on five counts of lying to investigators about what he was doing, in particular who he was doing it with.
0: I see. So does that mean that uh, there never should have been a Mueller investigation in the first mm. place and the ties between Trump campaign and the Russians? Mm. Uh, so if you're, if you're watching at home, yeah. just as a reminder, Mueller was also special counsel, right. and he spent just under two years looking into connections between Trump and... Trump campaign, campaign right. and the Russians and we talked about this he found a boatload right you know we talked about in one of our episodes how he uh many Trump campaign officials were not only indicted but convicted Correct. of lying of obstruction and uh, also several Russians as well yep. and but you know the Trump people they got their pardons yep. because the president uh you know in order for cooperate in exchange for cooperation yeah uh, maybe I'm um, Reading in a little there, but uh, didn't you know the Russians uh, uh, didn't need to cooperate with Mueller since Trump wasn't going to be handing out pardons to them, right? That
1: well, the Russians you know couldn't be extra, they weren't going to be extradited. Russia wasn't going to send them over here mm-hmm. to to face trial anyway. Mm-hmm. So they're indicted but they're over in Russia, uh, but. Didn't, need a, didn't need a pardon here. Didn't need a pardon, yeah. but you got these Americans who needed them. And in the Mueller report itself, Mueller says that this interfered with our investigation. The fact that Trump was dangling pardons and giving mm-hmm. pardons to these people.
0: So, but maybe. So the question then is, yeah. is: Would, uh, would there have ever been a Mueller investigation if no one knew that these people mm-hmm. were working for the Clinton campaign and digging up dirt?
1: Well, that too. It's an excellent question. It's the right one. Anybody that's still listening to us. (laughs) (laughs) We lost him when we we said investigation of an investigation. (laughs) Probably so. (laughs) But that question, whether should there have been an investigation at all, and would there have been an investigation if it wasn't for this uh, information that Christopher Steele got from this Russian who was lying about where he, okay, and and was associated with the Clinton campaign. That's already been looked into, and he concluded there would have been. Okay. An FBI investigation, and, and should have been, even without the report that Christopher Steele produced. And that report has been called for years now the Steele dossier. The Steele dossier. Well, the Steele a, dossier. Sounds Fancy like a, name I, for a report. 007 movie. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because the FBI had been given information about Trump campaign ties to Russia before, and this is really important, before the Steele dossier. And if they didn't have the Steele dossier, you still had this, this issue. And Mueller did not use the Steele dossier uh, in his investigation. President Trump got great mileage, and he still does by calling everything that's bad for him a witch hunt. We've all heard that over and over again. But with the FBI and Mueller investigations, unfortunately, for President, former President Trump, there were lots of witches to hunt, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they, and, and many of those witches were actually caught. But most were also pardoned, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't cooperate. Now, it is true that the Steele dossier had very serious claims in it, and it had some even salacious claims in it that I can't even mention on, on this air uh, about Trump. Uh, himself. And that, of course, that kind of thing got a lot of media coverage. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, the dossier was important. And the FBI used it. It was important because that got people's attention. Mm. And that was out there in the media a lot, that the Steele dossier says, you know, this happened, that happened. And there was credibility given to it at the Mm -hmm. the time in the media. Uh, And here's another thing. The FBI did use the Steele dossier in one respect, and that was to get warrants they had to go to court to get mm. warrants on a guy, a guy named Carter Page, who had ex- was working in the Trump campaign. He had extensive contacts with the Russians. They were suspicious, the FBI was. They wanted to surveil what was going on there. And they used claims in the Steele dossier to get warrants on him. Mm. And the inspector expect- general looked into that, too, and he faulted the FBI okay. for using the Steele information at all. But Mueller did not. Oh. Mueller did not. In fact, Carter Page was never indicted, let alone convicted. But dozens were convicted, and the Steele dossier had nothing to do mm-hmm. with those convictions that Mueller Got was right. able to
0: get. Yeah. So I, now I recall that uh, many of those who were convicted, uh, they were charged with lying to uh-huh. investigators. We've uh-huh. talked about this. Indeed. Uh, so, for example, Michael Flynn lied to the FBI. Uh, he was convicted, uh-huh. but he also becomes a martyr yep. to many people because they claim that you know he was mistreated. <laughs> the FBI tricked yeah. him into lying. Yes, that's the claim.
1: Multiple people lied to investigators, but the claim is they were tricked. And in any case, lying is just what I mm-hmm. learned this phrase through all of this. You know, it's just a process crime.
0: Yeah, I remember you bringing that up. Yeah. Well, process crime. Uh-huh. Uh, that, that was an interesting discussion we had in a previous episode. Yes, right. So this Russian guy now who lied to Durham's investigators, and if we're being consistent, yes, right? Yes. It's no big deal. Right. He's guilty of right. a process crime. And there's the problem, yeah. right? Yeah. Because our view of justice, as I said earlier,
1: friends cannot be seen through a political lens. Otherwise, we're, we're chipping the foundation out from under our own feet. And the Bible warns against yeah. that. Okay, that's why we care about it. It cannot be that when the guys on my team do it, it's just a process crime. Mm -hmm. But when the other team does it, it's it's the unpardonable sin. And that's what you're going to have right now. So you you just mark my words right now.
0: We we don't have—this is a nonprofit organization. (laughs) I am prophesying.
1: (laughs) I am prophesying right now that this just came out, and in the weeks and the months ahead, conservative media is going to blow up, just Mm -hmm. blow up with the fact that Durham has got this guy lying and his con- to cover up his connection to the dossier mm-hmm. and the Clinton campaign. Now, that's a story in its own right. That's the yeah. of politics and they got and what they were trying to do and all of that. But again, that does not affect what Mueller found in courts of law that you can read. It's a 500-page report. I keep telling mm-hmm. people to mm-hmm. to do that. So this this lack of even handedness is really a problem. Yet, this is the way so many people look at things, rather than looking at it from a biblical perspective. And the fact that God frequently condemns in Scripture the perversion of justice, Mm -hmm. because it's so dangerous to a society, even Christian people have now sunk to a depth that minimizes lying under oath. If you can believe that, as you know, no big deal.
0: In, in contrast to, I remember growing up, the big deal we made about Bill Clinton lying under oath. He uh-huh. was... <laughs> should be
1: beach, removed from office, drawn yeah. and quartered. Oh yeah, all of that, right. Yeah. So what we should do instead is condemn every single undermining of the justice system. Mm-hmm. And honesty is a requirement of any system of justice, and that's why... We make a big deal in the justice system as well we should of taking a solemn oath Mm -hmm. that you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. That's why Jesus said that your word should be so good that you actually don't need an oath. Mm -hmm. We are people of truth, and we should speak it no matter who needs to hear it, Mm -hmm. and we should condemn falsehood no matter who commits it. But you have lots of people who have no integrity right now, frankly, online to the FBI with this new Durham indictment because they've spent Mm. years saying it's no big deal when it was people on their team doing it. For my part, I hope that Durham uncovers every single person who has lied or engaged in in any wrongdoing because justice is Mm. foundational Mm -hmm. for our society, and without it, our system cannot stand.
0: Yeah, so no institution, not even the church, can be maintained without structural integrity, mm-hmm. is what we're saying. Right. And we talk, we talk often about, you, you know, you and I have decisions to In make around work. here. That's right. We talk about the, a particular decision, how it will not just, what do we think about this decision, but how will it affect ministry overall? Mm-hmm. Uh, how will it affect the structure of what we do? And, and that's the
1: difference between leading something, mm-hmm. where you have to look at it from a vantage point that is perched at the top, you know, as mm-hmm. we have to lead, as we lead a church, and we have that privilege, but that means you have, you know, if you want to use an org chart, that means you have a vantage point that sees more of the field, mm-hmm. you see more of the structure, and you have folks serving faithfully in pieces of the structure. Yeah. Sometimes you don't necessarily see everything and how that fits together, I mean, that's fine, people are in leadership to do that very thing, but we have to then take into consideration how one decision we make over here and how it affects every, everything else. Yeah, That's yeah. what we mean by the structural integrity. And if you start chipping away, mm-hmm. you know, in one area of those things that undergird society, now you are playing a very, very dangerous game. We are playing politics with justice. Mm-hmm. And we're undermining then a key gift of God's common grace to us. Yeah,
0: very important. Well well hmm. said. Good way to say that. Uh, so the justice system's not only uh, not it's not the only area yeah. I should say mm-hmm. where this is happening, it's also happening and one of the other topics we raise in the title of today's episode, the electoral process. Mm-hmm. Court after court has rejected the claims of a stolen election last year. Right. Um, some of the attorneys who have gone, uh, you know, who made these claims, have gone to court, and they have had their law licenses suspended, like Giuliani. Yep. Uh, just two days ago, none other than Sydney released the crack in Powell, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, was before a committee of the Texas bar to take, you know, to take responsibility for her actions and all of this, and she might get disciplined mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So state after state, they've done recounts, uh, audits, including here in Michigan, but still no proof of a stolen election. So now we have Republicans, you know, a state legislature passing laws to make elections more secure, even though there's not really any proof that they were insecure. Right. But related to all that then, we had elections in some states this past week. Hmm. And oddly enough, there huh. I don't I haven't heard any claims of fraud Isn't have you. that
1: something, and that was days ago. That was Tuesday, right? Yeah, it was, I mean, it's was just election like crickets day. on that crickets, right? Well, Republicans did pretty well in those elections. Uh-huh. So what what's to complain about? Gotcha. So here's another deal where you know mm-hmm. you complain about it one way, but you don't complain about it another way. You know, yeah, just I mean, like with to the listen
0: line... to listen a couple months ago, you'd think oh. there's no hope of having a fair election no. in America. No, yeah. no.
1: So you, you, you see what we mean by fair then? Mm-hmm. We mean by fair, how it comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just like the lying to federal investigators, it appears it only matters if you're on the losing end. So mm-hmm. th- consider the presidential election last year, uh, Biden wins 51% to 47%. Trump loses 47 to, to 51, four percentage points. That's actually a pretty healthy margin mm-hmm. of, of, of victory. It's not, certainly not a razor thin victory. But it was so close that it required all the protests and all the court cases, and all the new laws that, that we've seen. Now, I, also, I understand that some states were indeed quite close. But this past Tuesday's gubernatorial uh, election in Virginia, which everybody was watching, the Republican wins 51 to, to 40 to 48. So he wins by a little bit less than Biden won by. Mm.
0: Biden won by a bit more. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And no one says anything about the need for a recount or for a, a stolen election. Yeah. You know, I just, I shared with you and the other pastors here today, uh, a message by a, a guy from Laga Software, Mark Ward. Mm. He talks about this kind of thing related mm. to what you're saying Uh, in that message about um, trying to represent your opponent in its best light. Yes. Uh, You know, trying to identify the strongest points Mm -hmm. of the opposition Mm -hmm. so that you have credibility then when you do disagree. Yes, that's right.
1: And, you know, and we're trying to do that. I don't claim I always succeed and I'm happy to be called out when I don't. But Mm -hmm. you're right, and Mark Ward is right, that that is what we need to do, that our own integrity requires that. So when we go through these things, I do try to say, hey, Durham found things, okay? And and those things ought to be prosecuted. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be able to say, I don't care on which side it happens, somebody lies. If it's Bill Clinton lying, then... To, to investigators, then he ought to be held accountable and everybody else ought to yeah. be
0: too and, well. and for our part, you know, here as two conservatives, <laughs> yeah. we take special attention when there's an inconsistency there on the part of yes. our side, because yes. we're trying to do that, yeah. trying to take responsibility, trying to be credible.
1: And we yeah. of all people, sorry, but we of all people ought to do that for what you said earlier. Mm-hmm. That's what conservative means. You're trying yeah. to conserve okay, yeah.
0: the institutions. Exactly. Yeah. So... These results, then, uh, in the gubernatorial yeah. election uh, from Tuesday, what do they mean for mm. the next, you know, the elections next year, maybe 2024? Yeah.
1: Probably not a, a whole lot, but you know the chattering class needs something to talk about, and so the news anchors, uh, the chattering class, and they've got to come up with something, and so this is a great thing for them to talk about. and Try to make connections to, mm-hmm. and all of that. So they always make these elections that happen in the first year of a presidency. Yeah. And let me just stop and think about the first year of a presidency elections. Those are actually quite unusual because, the, as you, you all know, the presidential elections take place in an even uh, numbered year.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: So the next year is going to be an odd-numbered year. And you've got some states that are odd enough to have elections the, uh, for their state in an odd-numbered year. <laughs> but there's only just a few of those. And Virginia happens to be one of them. So this happens with Virginia like every four years. Okay. That, that after there's been a presidential election, the next year there's going to be an, a gubernatorial election in, in Virginia. Pennsylvania happens to be one as well. But there's only a handful of these that are, that are like that. Everybody else, Michigan, our next run for governor, is going to be in, in 22, not in 21, mm-hmm. and pretty much for everybody else as, as well. So the reason I bring that up is, though, there's, there's history, you know, Virginia, you can just look back at their history. We see this happen all the time. You have somebody elected president, and then the following year, you have somebody elected governor of Virginia. And Virginia almost never reelects a governor from the same party. <laughs> almost never. The outgoing governor was a Democrat. And so there was every reason to believe that they would elect a Republican, as long as they ran a decent Republican candidate. And it appears they did. I've learned some more about Glenn Youngkin, but I did not know him prior to all of this. But by all accounts, he was an excellent candidate. But it doesn't say much about what's going to happen in the future since Virginia always goes back and forth. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing about his election, though, is that Interestingly, he actively resisted having Trump come to campaign for him. <laughs>
0: I think I remember hearing about this. Yes, yeah. and
1: he thought that would that would hurt, not help his chances. And that was undoubtedly true in a state that is, a, we call it a purple state, mm-hmm. instead of a red, you know, or a blue, Democrat, blue, red, Republican. It's kind of in between. It goes back and forth. Yeah. So
0: I wouldn't say it's trending yet, but I have noticed an uptick in the number of times I see people... Uh, I forget what the hashtag was, but um, the commenting that resisting Trump's support Mm. is becoming more commonplace Mm. than calling for it. Well,
1: now in uh, in Alabama, it won't be right (laughs) right. because that's deep red, and so Trump will be in Alabama, and he'll be in other places like that. But in purple places. Like Arizona, which was mm-hmm. very close, and that's you got that all contested, right? Michigan was very close, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Those are places that could go either way mm-hmm. in the next presidential election. Uh, so, it appears, and this is just my two cents, the best thing Republican candidates can do in those kinds of places
0: would be to resist mm-hmm. having
1: Trump come. But it'll be interesting to see how that seems goes. seems like that
0: would have other good side effects as well, well, then, because now there's not as much sway to be had. Well,
1: well, and just to lay it out there again as i have done at our church for about five years to just say look that putting trump to the side should have happened in 2016. he should have never gotten the nomination he Mm -hmm. had and then he does and then he gets elected amazingly but he had when he got elected both houses of congress Mm -hmm. four years later he had and the republicans have neither now next year there's every reason to believe republicans are going to retake both because on average in the house of representatives The party that is in the White House loses 28 seats, and the Democrats only have something like a six-seat majority Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. That's why they're having such a difficult, difficult, difficult time getting these uh, bills, these spending bills passed mm-hmm. because they don't have, they have a razor thin majority. And if they don't satisfy everybody, they can't get it done. And then the Senate, they're 50, 50. Mm-hmm. If they lose a single, so a guy, Joe Manchin uh-huh. has become in effect, you know, a King Yeah, because he can control the entire process. Yeah,
0: the swing <laughs> huh.
1: But, but, overreach this is one of the things that i think we can be reminded of not learn because this has been the case for a very long time but just be reminded of that overreach always backfires it always mm. backfires whether it's republicans or democrats you know and biden and the democrats with their razor thin majority in the congress may have overreached you know they come in i mean initially they're talking about trillions Of dollars Uh, at one point you know the the progressive caucus which is about 95 members of the 435 in the in the Congress but this is the most liberal uh, members and they're talking about something like eight trillion dollars for social spending Mm -hmm. stuff and then that goes down to three and a half trillion and now it's down to 1.75 trillion and they still haven't been able to get an agreement on Mm -hmm. that as well. But that's, that's what I mean by overreach, okay? Uh, and, and I say it happens on both sides. I remember in 2004 when George W. Bush was reelected to a second term. He beat John Kerry, and he didn't he didn't win that by a ton against John Kerry, okay? This re-election. He had the Iraq war going on, and that was weighing him,
0: mm-hmm. weighing
1: him down. He didn't win that by a lot. I still remember, and, and you'll see this written about even today sometimes, him coming out just a day after the election, maybe two days, Holds a press conference, and he says, "I've got you know political capital, and I'm going to spend it." Okay, you don't got a lot of political capital. You do not win by a whole lot. Okay, number one, what are you going to spend it on? Well, it was Social Security reform. He was gonna reform Social Security. He's got enough popularity, enough political capital to go after reforming Social Security. You know how long that lasted? <laughs> <laughs> that lasted a few months. I mean, that thing just died. It had no chance, I, and I remember hearing it, I'm going, what, you got political capital to do that? Now that's, that's a, a Republican, that's a conservative guy doing it. But it doesn't matter who it is. You know, You overreach, there will be a backlash. You take Obama. Obama comes in in, mm-hmm. in 2008. Now he won by a lot. He beat McCain by a good bit. Uh, but first thing he does is Obamacare. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's gigantic, gigantic. But guess what? 2010, they get they get wiped out in the the congressional elections. And in 2012, he did win reelection, but barely, barely against Romney. So overreach always backfires lots of history with that a democratic congresswoman just this week from yes virginia where she's a democrat Republican just got elected as the governor she said this week of biden no one elected him to be fdr oh wow she's saying that of her president and her Mm -hmm. party no Mm -hmm. one elected you to be fdr they just elected you to be solid and to end the chaos Mm. and you know what it's
0: pretty solid reflection
1: (laughs) i think that's right I think Mm -hmm. FDR, of course, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the New Deal and during the the 40s, the 30s and 40s, and with America in the Great Depression and then in World War II and all of the things and legislation that that he got through, no one elected you to do that, okay? Mm -hmm. And you don't have that kind of majority. And so there's always this this backlash. But they come in ready to spend uh, more money than ever. And when I say ever, I mean ever. That's what they were trying to do. But more than the money is the social policy mm-hmm. and overreach. Uh, we've said more than once on our podcast that there will be a backlash against some of the kind of radical social agenda going on that's going to attempt to mix bathrooms in schools. Mm-hmm. You, you just parents are not going to stand for that no. or radical teaching really of any type, including on on race and critical race theory you know now that and I've written about this on my blog, that's kind of become the new war on Christmas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there, you know, going back years ago, Fox News was promoting. There's a war on Christmas in you know secular society, and then Trump kept you know making a big deal out of saying Merry Christmas. He even said, "I saved Christmas. I saved Christmas." Mm. Okay, so this is the new war on Christmas. It's all over the place. It's something you need to be afraid of. You need to be very afraid of. Is kind of the idea, and as with everything on social media and on cable, it's it's overblown. Mm-hmm. But saying that it's overblown doesn't mean it's non-existent. And right. parents are concerned about it in the schools. And parents have a right to know what's going on in their schools. And it came up in the Virginia election mm-hmm. at one of the debates. And the Democrat, Terry McAuliffe, said parents should not be involved in what's taught in school. Wow. He, he, well, Okay. He never recovered from that, and it's a good thing that he never recovered from that. But as you know, you wig out about where the country's headed, remember that to every action, there's a reaction. And for the last few decades, control of Congress has swung back and forth with an edge, actually, over these last few decades uh, to the Republicans a bit.
0: Yeah. On uh, another then topic, <laughs> our final topic for this, this uh, episode, one of our viewers asked whether or not members of Congress were involved in the insurrection attempt that we saw on January 6th? Well, the short
1: answer is we, we won't know until either the 1-6 commission that's doing its work issues its report or possibly they find out and it's leaked. <laughs> but mm. that report probably won't be issued until actually the summer. So we won't know for sure until one of those two things happens. But I believe there is good reason to think some were. Because they were communicating, we do know this, some members of Congress were communicating with radical right groups in the weeks and days before the riot. Some mm-hmm. were even giving tours of the building just days before. Now, I, I'm going to caution here. I don't know this, so please understand. I don't know this. I suspect this. I suspect that one of the things that's going to come out is that there, uh, there were uh, plans given to some of the rioters about where to go in the building. Not just where to go inside the building, how to get inside the building. Which windows, because it turns out in the Capitol, there were some windows that were secured and some that were not.
0: Hmm. Some that
1: were reinforced and some that were not. So that'll be interesting to see, see where that goes. So, uh, But I think I find it interesting and concerning that so many in Congress are vehemently opposed to finding out what happened. Mm-hmm. And that makes me suspicious that, in fact, some indeed are guilty. But on this topic of our structure holding together and how important that is, this event that took place on January the 6th is enormously, enormously, friends, dangerous. We've never had an attack on our capital like that in 200 years. And yet you have many who want to whitewash that. Who want to deflect blame for it? Remember as soon as it happened, hey, that's not us. That's not our side. Mm-hmm. That's those are those are Black Lives Matters people posing as us. So you try to deflect blame for it, or let's just move on from it. Mm-hmm. I am thankful because of the need to hold structure together. I'm thankful that we have a one-six commission. I am thankful that you have at least two Republicans. <laughs> who have the guts to be on that committee, Mm -hmm. Liz Cheney and and Adam Kinzinger. But the few, very few, unfortunately, Republicans in Congress who are willing to stand up to what Trump and his friends did on January the 6th, they have all suffered backlash. And most of them are retiring. They're not running for re-election. You know who Kinzinger is. Kinzinger announced this week he is not running for re-election in 22. Now, he's a guy of courage and integrity. It's going to be a real loss not to have Mm -hmm. him in Congress. I hope he runs for higher office. He did intimate that, by the way. He said, I'm not done. I'm not done. Yeah. But meanwhile, the committee is doing a thorough job. They said that they've interviewed 150 witnesses so far. They've issued dozens of subpoenas, including for information from the former president, Hmm. which, go figure, He's he's fighting in, in court now. It's just, a witch hunt. Th- uh, that's the idea. It's a, so, and he, but so far he hasn't. Uh, the courts have not ruled in his favor on that. And some of the information from him has had to be turned over. But he's still fighting other information. One last thing on that one six commission. Just uh, just yesterday, they uh, had scheduled a meeting, an interview, with a guy named Jeffrey Clark. Jeffrey Clark was a guy who was in the Justice Department in the waning days of the Trump administration. But he was kind of down on the org chart. And Trump was looking to promote him possibly all the way up to the top uh, mm-hmm. to be the attorney okay, general. We talked about that. Okay, Jeffrey this, Clark is yeah. this guy's name. Well, uh, and the reason that Trump was really wanting to bring him up is because that guy was willing to do the bidding mm-hmm. and others were not. And those others said, we will resign en masse All if together. you do yeah. this. They were in the Oval Office three days before January 6th having this very discussion. Mm-hmm. Je- and Jeffrey Clark was at the center of this and he was willing to do it uh, and urging others to go along with it. So the 1-6 committee wants to talk to him. Guess what? He doesn't want to talk to them. So just yesterday, he was scheduled to be interviewed. He went and he guess what? He pled. He pled the fifth. Wow. Yeah. So more to come. But I'm glad it's I'm glad it's being looked into.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, that was a lot to catch up on. Yeah. (laughs) Appreciate you watching and joining us for this episode. I'll remind you as I do regularly, make sure you subscribe to the channel, hit the notification. Uh, bell so that you know when our new episodes come out we try to produce one every saturday at 2 p.m and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in the next one if you have a question you'd like us to consider you can send that into our email address info at or text it to us at 97000.